Before we uh, open the Word of God this morning, I want to spend a moment in prayer. So let's, uh, let's go to God together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have revealed so many things about Yourself and about us and about this world in Your Word, the Bible. And we pray that uh, as we look at the Bible now, that Your Spirit would guide us to understand it truly and that we would see the truth and see what we must do about the truth. I ask this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So the Bible begins with what is the king of all origin stories. It starts out with that famous line, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it tells the story of how God created the earth. It tells this, uh, this six-day process in which God uh, will speak uh, various aspects of the world into existence on each day. And then at the end of each one of those sections of the story, um, it says, And God saw that it was good. And then when we come to the end of that story, uh, the, after the sixth day of creation... Um, it doesn't say God saw that it was good. It says this. It says, and God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And then in this world in which everything in it was very good, God planted a garden. And this garden was full of beautiful trees that produced food for Adam and Eve, and they had a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other, there was no pain in the world. There was no suffering. Nothing ever went wrong. Humanity had been tasked with being fruitful and multiplying. God had told them to fill the earth and subdue it. And they foresaw no difficulties in fulfilling that task living in a newly created world that was under the blessing of God, they would have no problem beginning to fulfill God's plan for humanity. This was the world that God had created, a world that would be a place of beauty and joy and fulfillment, a place that would bring glory to God in many, many ways. And now here we are, living in that perfect world. Isn't it great? Okay, not, uh, no. <laughs> Obviously, this world that we are in is not the world that I just described. Our world is not a perfect environment where nothing ever goes wrong. Our world contains poverty and sickness and death. Natural disasters, betrayal, wars, famine, a global pandemic, and politics. Our relationships are often characterized by animosity and selfishness and rivalry. And instead of knowing God and having a direct relationship with Him, most of the people on earth have grossly distorted views of God or don't believe that He exists at all. True knowledge of God is rare. So, what is the deal? 
we might conclude that God created a world with significant flaws. It was actually not very good. It's a world that doesn't seem very well suited for the flourishing of life, a world that seems to fight against human success and flourishing, a world in which much of what we see does not bring glory to God at all. If God originally created a world that was not like the world that we see around us, what is the origin of all the pain and suffering that we see and experience? Of course, the Bible does give us an explanation for these things. It's part of the origin stories of Genesis. And today, we're going to take a closer look at the biblical story of the origin and also the eventual end of pain and suffering and death. The biblical story uh, of the origin of pain begins in Genesis chapter 3. So you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 with me now. In that chapter, we have the story that uh, we looked at last week um, in which the devil, in the form of a serpent, comes to Adam and Eve and deceives them and convinces them that they should choose to trust the serpent and their own judgment rather than choosing to obey God. And we saw last week how that decision resulted in shame and hiding, something that had never occurred to people before they sinned. But there were other consequences as well. The tragedy of sin had far-reaching effects. And when God confronts Adam and Eve, they continue to sin by failing to take responsibility for their actions. And so God pronounces to them what some of the consequences of their sin will be. So picking up the story in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, uh, here's uh, God first addresses the serpent. He, he takes each one of them in turn, the serpent first, then Eve, then Adam, and tells them some of the consequences of what has just happened. So verse 14 says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, of course, this is about a lot more than just the fact that most people don't like snakes, right? Um, well, some people actually do like snakes. They keep them as pets. They think they're really cool. Uh, so God's declaration here is, is not just about uh, that, it's more about the animosity that will exist between Satan and humanity. But notice that there is both judgment and mercy contained in God's proclamation. Yes, he tells us that there will be an ongoing enmity between the devil and people. Satan had succeeded in bringing evil into this perfect world, he had brought shame. And God tells us here that this will continue. We have an enemy who is constantly trying to mar and pervert and to sow division. But we also have here a glimmer of hope. 
Although Satan will succeed in doing damage to humanity by striking our heel, someday a descendant of Eve will come who will crush the head of the serpent. The Bible is telling us here that we have an enemy and God is not going to immediately remove that enemy. Satan will be around for a long time and he will be continuing to strike at the heel of humanity. He will cause more pain and suffering, but a time is coming when he will be defeated. And so this is a start to the explanation of what we see around us. Why is this world no longer a paradise? Because we have an adversary. Later on, the Apostle Peter warns us, uh, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he is there and he is causing problems. He is causing uh, suffering and pain in our world. But of course, that's not... Uh, he's not responsible for all the pain and suffering that we see around us. That's just a part of it, that we do have an adversary. But the, and, and, and God's story doesn't stop there. There are more consequences of sin that are described. Starting now in, in, in verse 16, picking up the, the Scripture here, it says, To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor... You will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This part of God's judgment on sin has two parts to it. Uh, first, one of the key elements of God's plan for humanity, which was uh, for them to go and be fruitful and multiply. And now that is affected by sin. Um, see, God only created two people, but His intention was not that two people would go out and fulfill His will in the world. He intended that they would become the parents of the human race. Now, um, I do want to take a moment here on a, on a kind of a side issue. Um, if a big part of God's intention for the human race was for them to be fruitful and multiply and to, to have children and, and, and grow the population, then what does that mean for people who have no children? Does that mean that they are somehow missing out on a, on a significant part of God's will for their lives? Are they unable to uh, really live in a way that is uh, fulfilling God's purposes? No. You see, this is God's intention for humanity to be fruitful and multiply and to uh, grow and spread around the earth, but it's not necessarily God's will for every individual human. Right? Uh, Jesus, right? So, so we know this because Jesus, who was the perfect man and perfectly fulfilled all of God's will for him, um, was, uh, was never had any children. And so if Jesus, the perfect man who perfectly fulfilled the will of God, uh, was able to do so without having any children, then uh, we can too. Um, we can also be uh, completely in God's will and do the things that he has for us to do um, without having children. But that's a, that's a side point that I just wanted to mention because we're talking about this issue of, um, of God's plan for humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And, and, and so Adam and Eve were intended to 
have children and grow the population of the world and populate out to the ends of the earth. And now God declares that this process of childbearing is going to be full of pain. And the pain here is more than just the physical pain of the birthing process. I mean, that's, that's a, a, a real inclu- a part of it that's included here, but it's much more than that. It's more than just uh, those few hours of giving birth that are referred to here. Uh, because of sin, the entire family life is now harder and more painful than it uh, was intended to be. And of course, the second part of God's statement to the woman is also uh, about family life. It's about her husband and her relationship with her husband. Now marriage is more difficult than it was intended to be. Uh, Next week, Mike's uh, sermon is going to be focused on that issue of the origin of marital conflict and and all that, so I'm not going to spend much time talking about that uh, element right now, but clearly the breakdown of family relationships, both the relationships between parents and children and between husbands and wives, um, are, are consequences of sin. We have, we have seen much difficulty and much uh, pain and suffering come through those family relationships. But again, there is hope in the midst of the judgment. God does not tell Eve that because of her sin, that's it, you won't be able to have any children. He does not tell her that the idea of marriage is dead. Forget it, that was my original plan, but now you sinned, and so marriage is no more. No, parenting and marriage are very much still alive and still part of God's will for our lives. Um, And both of those things we know, can, can be great sources of joy in our lives. And we can bring glory to God through our marriages and through our uh, family relationships. But it's going to be a lot harder than it would have been. And mixed with the joy and the gladness of family will be frustration and pain. Next, God turns to Adam in verse 17, and he says this. He says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. But or by by the sweat of your brow... You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Again, there's two parts of this judgment. The first is that there is a curse on the ground, a curse on the earth. And notice, of course, that it is the ground that is cursed here and not Adam himself, right? God does not curse the people throughout this whole thing, but, but they live in a world that is under a curse. But w- what, what exactly does that mean? What is a curse? Um, is it some kind of a magical hex that clings to the ground that makes it so it's unproductive and, and it makes it grow weeds and things? No, no, no. The, the biblical idea 
of a curse is a little different than the fairy tale uh, idea of a curse. Um, a curse in the biblical sense is the absence of something. Specifically, it's the absence of God's blessing. So those two ideas are, are, uh, are in contrast to one another, blessing and curse. And a curse really is just the absence of God's blessing. God's blessing um, is God's good guidance and providence causing good things to happen and, and uh, for a person or, or a place or something that he is blessing. So things go well for them and God is directing things to go well. And to be cursed is to lack that godly encouragement and influence and, uh, and promotion of, of well-being. So God had blessed the Garden of Eden so that it produced food for Adam and Eve in abundance. They still had to work the garden and take care of it. Um, we, we see in the Bible that work is not, the, is not uh, a result of sin. They were working before, but their work was uh, uh, not burdensome, and it resulted in great productivity because of the blessing of God on them and on the the land in which they lived, their work was easy and good, productive and fulfilling. But now, God curses the ground. He removes His blessing from it. Now there is difficulty, futility, and frustration in human labor. The Bible uses terms like painful toil and the sweat of your brow to indicate that increased difficulty that we have now in, in our work and in providing for our needs. But again, we see God's mercy mixed with His judgment. The difficulty will not result in starvation. The ground will still produce food for Adam and Eve. They will still do well, but God's blessing, God's blessing has not been completely removed. They are still able to uh, produce good things from the land. And then God's final word of judgment in this passage is the declaration of death. God says that we will continue to work hard and labor until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And on this part of the consequences of sin, there is no balancing hope in this passage. Because of our sin, we all die. This was not God's original plan for us. We were meant to live forever. We have eternal souls. But now, because of our sins, we are all returning to dust. Now, all these things that I've been talking about, the fact that we have an enemy who seeks to destroy us, the distortion and dysfunction of our family relationships, the frustration of our work to provide for ourselves, the fact that we will all one day return to dust, all of this is not the way that God meant for the world to be. This is not the way that things should be. God made a perfect world. 
When he finished the creation, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And then came sin. And sin has consequences. Far-reaching and terrible consequences. Of course, what we've seen here in Genesis is not a full accounting of the results of sin. The entire creation has been affected by the rebellion of mankind. God's blessing is removed. When we choose to defy God's will and rebel against Him, perfection is shattered. Reality is affected in terrible ways. And that first act of rebellion had a cascading effect as people continued to sin. The biblical origin story is that all the evil in the world is a result of sin. Either directly from that first sin that broke the world and caused all this chaos and things around us, or from the sins that we continue to commit down through the ages. So does that mean that every bad thing that happens is the result of sin? What about a tornado that comes through and, and it comes into a town and hits a house and kills the people in there? Does the Bible blame those people for what happened? What about when someone has cancer? Does the Bible say that their cancer is their own fault for sinning? No, that is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible directly addresses that idea and rejects it. And one of the most clear places where this was done is in uh, a story about Jesus in which he and his disciples are uh, traveling about as they uh, did, and uh, they encounter a beggar who was born blind. And to the disciples, they had that idea about sin and suffering and that connection between them, that wrong idea. And so, but this was an interesting case because to them, they were like, hey, Jesus, which person sinned here? Because this guy was born blind. So does that mean his parents sinned and therefore they had a blind child? Or did somehow it was his fault, even though he hadn't been born yet, that he had committed some kind of sin or something? And, and, and Jesus corrects them. Jesus says it was neither this man nor his parents who had sinned. So does that mean that this guy's blindness and the resulting suffering that came with it uh, were not the result of sin? Well, no. It means that they are not directly a result of any particular sin that was committed by the people immediately involved, but it was a result of living in a fallen, sinful world in which things just don't work the way that they are supposed to. The consequences of the original fall in the garden go on today, and they create all kinds of evils in the world. And of course, much suffering and evil in the world is the result of current sins that are being committed by people today. Many sins bring pain and suffering to the sinner and to others who are affected by their sins. Robbery, rape, 
gossip, slander, all those are obvious examples of sins that both bring pain and suffering to the person who's doing it, but also bring pain and suffering to the victims of those sins. And so much of the evil that we see around us is caused by current sins. Um, and of course, even these things that were described in, by God in Genesis 3 here in his declaration of judgment, those are things that are, are, are not only affected by the changes that came into the world through that original fall and the brokenness of the world, but they are also the results of our ongoing sins. Why do we find pain and frustration in our family relationships? Well, a lot of it is due to the current sins of the people in our families. Even difficulties at work and providing for our needs is often made worse by the sins of the people around us that we are working with and working for. And So why isn't the world that we experience, the world that God saw at the end of that sixth day in creation and declared to be very good? Why do we see so much pain and suffering? It is all the result of humanity's rebellion against God. Both the initial marring of the world through the first sin and the results of the many sins that we all continue to commit. But there is hope in the midst of it all. In Genesis 3, we saw that as God told Adam and Eve about the consequences of their choice, He also included notes of hope. Things would be difficult, but they would not be impossible. God was not abandoning them. In fact, we see that clearly in the Genesis account, because in, in, in Genesis chapter 4, right after uh, this whole uh, thing, the, the, uh, Adam and Eve have their first child. And, uh, and Eve declares, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Well, childbearing was what God just explicitly said was now going to be uh, affected by the consequences of their sins. And yet, here is God helping Eve to have a son. The blessings of God have not departed completely from the world. The world that we live in still brings us joy. We still find pleasure in our work. Our marriages can be a tremendous source of fulfillment in our lives. And a lot of the time, the weather is pretty nice. Uh, sunrises and sunsets over the mountain are still beautiful. And God's plan for us is still the same. We are to be fruitful and multiply, and to subdue the earth, and rule over the creation. We are to bring glory to God and to worship Him. Although it is not as easy as it should be, we can still know God and have a relationship with Him. All is not lost. The original very good nature of the world has been marred but it has not vanished completely. We can find the blessing of God in our lives. The Bible tells us how. 
And we can fight against the evils that we see in the world around us. Is there poverty and hunger? We can feed the hungry and lift up the poor. Is there sickness and disease? We can learn to heal. Is there sorrow and mourning? We can comfort and encourage. Is there war and destruction? We can promote peace. I once again go to Job and his description of his striving to fight against the effects of sin in the world around him. Here's here's Job's description of his life of righteousness. This is This is the life that God wants from us. Here it is. Job chapter 29. He says, I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. When we look at the world around us and we see the results of sin all around us, this should be our response. Rescue the poor. Help those who have no one to help them. Fight wickedness. This is what God calls us to do. Bring the world around us closer to Eden. Will we succeed? Yes, we can succeed in reducing the pain and suffering around us. We won't eliminate all suffering, but we can reduce it. The world is broken. Sin has brought all kinds of evil into it. And a part of our calling as the sons and daughters of God is to... Make it better. But is final victory hopeless? Not at all. God has promised that He will bring victory in the end. Romans chapter 8 is one of the clearest places where this promise is given. I want to turn there now. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 18. The Bible tells us this. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God, that's us, to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What the Bible is talking about here is the restoration of all things at the end of the age. We are a fallen people living in a fallen world, and there is significant suffering and pain involved in that. But the Bible holds that all of our suffering is not worth comparing to the good things that are coming. There is a lot of pain and suffering in the world. The good things that are coming must be really great if they're going to be 
not even a comparison between how great things are then and the suffering that we go through now. God is not simply going to restore the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, even though there is a lot of Garden of Eden imagery in the descriptions of heaven in, in the book of Revelation, it's not just simply the Garden of Eden uh, back in time like we're there again. It's going to be even better than things were in the Garden. We're not simply going to go back to the way things were. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I know that there will be no more pain and suffering, no chaos, no evil, nothing outside the perfect will of God, no more sin, no more conflict. The Bible tells us the origin of pain and suffering. It tells us how we should respond to it now. And it gives us the end game. Jesus will return. Justice will come with Him. Evil will be dealt with. The serpent's head will be crushed. The world will be remade and all things will bring glory to God. And even death itself will be defeated. We will live forever with God in paradise. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we long for that day when the world will be restored and we will live without pain and suffering. But Lord, until that day, guide us and empower us to work against the effects of sin in the world around us. May we be your agents to reduce the suffering in the world. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.